So I hope you brought your Bibles this evening. If you did not, you can get your phones. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. I think it's helpful. I think it's less distracting to bring a physical Bible. Um, but if you need your phone, if that's the best way to do it, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, if you're pulling out your phone to play something else, some game or whatever, then that's between you and the Lord. I can't stop you, but I would encourage you to maybe uh, to use your Bible tonight because uh, we're going to dive into a brand new series, and it's called Broken Saviors. Now, here's, here's what's going to happen. Um, so, so we're essentially diving into the middle of a story in God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 3. Um, here's, here's what's happening in Judges chapter 3. Before we even get to that point, you have to understand something. So from the beginning of time, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden then sin happened, they ate, the, they ate of the apple, they were kicked out of the garden, sin existed. Ever since that moment, there has been a need for redemption. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, there is now a separation between man and God. And so all along, the, the historical biblical narrative, all along, God is working towards giving his people a chance at redemption, providing for them deliverance, and then what happens is, along the way, they rebel. Now, I think we've already established, if this is your first time, we've established this over a number of weeks, um, that, that we have some rebels in the room. Any rebels, just natural rebellious people? Somebody tells you don't do it, what do you want to do? That exact thing. I don't know what it is inside our nature. Well, I do know it's a sinful nature, but some of us maybe have that a little bit more than others where we want to rebel. Well, the Israelites over the years, God's chosen people, in an effort for restoration, they continue to rebel even though God has been faithful to them. So we kind of find ourselves right smack in the middle of this story, of this track of the Israelites. Now, to catch you up to where we are today, they've already been exodus out of Egypt They've already kind of claimed the promised land. There was a man named Moses. Ever heard of him? Moses kind of led them to the promised land, uh, but then Joshua kind of took them into the promised land. And so what happened was, in the promised land, even though they received the promised land, they still rebelled. There were still people within the promised land, the land of Canaan, that there were different groups of people that they needed to kind of remove from that land because God gave that to them. But the Israelites, in their laziness and in their rebellion, decided, ah, whatever, we'll just leave them there. Well, the problem is, is that they were falling into the trap of worshiping their gods, of doing the immoral things that they were engaged with as well, and so they would continue to find themselves in rebellion. So, so here's what would happen. God would give them into captivity to one of these major uh, nations. And then they would be so upset in their own oppression that they would reach out and they would cry out to God, say, God, please deliver us from this. And then God would deliver them. Well, the, the story that we're walking through today is actually the story of deliverance. And the way that they did it, they, God used what we would call broken saviors, what the Bible calls judges. Now, this doesn't mean the whole, like, gavel. I don't know if any of you know who Judge Judy is. Is that a thing? Is that too old? We got a few people in the room. Man, I was hooked on Judge Judy when I was a kid, just watching her tell people off. It's not that kind of judge. A judge here was actually kind of more of a, of a military leader. 
like a kind of a big deal. They would come and God would raise up a judge to help deliver Israel from whatever oppression they were in because of their rebellion. So God would send these people. Now, now understand what they represent. These judges represent the deliverance from their rebellion that they deserved, that they did not deserve because they were rebellious. What these judges represented is, is what we would call a broken Savior. God was going to redeem, is going to redeem humanity by sending Jesus Christ. Every part of the story points to that moment on the cross. But before we even get there, there are moments throughout Scripture where God has provided a not-so-perfect Savior for people along the way, despite the rebellion. So here's where we are. The Israelites find themselves again. They're doing all right because of one of the judges. His name is Othniel, okay? I don't know if you're planning on naming your kid that one day. Go for it if you want to. That was his name. So I want you to see Judges chapter 3, and we're going to start just really quick for, for some context in verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. So the land had rest 40 years, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So what happened was, in the rebellion, God raised up Othniel. They, he, de he delivered the Israelites from this oppression, and they were actually clear for 40 years. It was fantastic. 40 years of deliverance from this. But then, what does the very next verse say? Verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't know what your, your plan is for uh, dating somebody in the future. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you've even thought that far. But you can't, you ever just like try to impress in the very first moments and then you just like leave it alone later on? That's not a good strategy. When I, was, when I was pursuing my wife, um, she's, she's amazing. She's, like, completely out of my league. Um, but we were just trying to get to know each other, and we were trying to figure out, like, okay, is this a thing? Is this not a thing? She, we were talking and having a conversation, and she was like, oh, you know, I got I to gotta go, you know, go to bed tonight because I got something going on early in the morning. And I was like, oh, what do you got tomorrow morning? She's like, oh, I do this uh, spin class at 5. And I was like, I could do that. Like, oh, spin? That's crazy. She's like, yeah, you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. Like, I'll do it. It's fine. Like, I'm chill, man. I'll do whatever. It's fine. I didn't even know what a spin class was. So apparently, if you don't know what a spin class is, it's where you sit on, like, a stationary bike, and then you, like, pedal, and then there's some person up there that's got way too much energy, and they just kind of yell at you a little bit. Whatever. Well, I didn't know that. So I said, I texted her that night. I said, hey, what do I need to bring tomorrow for spin class? First of all, I would never wake up at 5. But you do things when you're trying to impress somebody, don't you? So I was like, you know what, fine. I'll wake up at 5. I was like, what do I need to bring? She's like, hey, just bring like a, you know, just like a towel. And I was like, okay, fine. Sounds good. Well, I show up at 440 because I got to be early. Didn't sleep at all because I was afraid I was going to miss my alarm. I'm up there at 430 at the gym. And I brought a, a bath towel. Now, I, I didn't realize she meant like a hand towel. 
So I'm, and I stick out, like, look at this. Like, I stick out, not a single dude was in this spin class at five in the morning, let alone someone who is 300 pounds. So like, there's no chance that I was gonna sneak in and sneak out and get out of it. But then I also have a bath towel. So I'm sitting, and she's like, what are you doing with that? I was like, you said bring a towel. She's like, oh my gosh. So we get in there. Um, These bikes are not made for this. Those seats are, amen, right? Can I get an amen? Have you, do you spin class? Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Um, so I go to sit on this, like, pencil. Like, it's, like, it's not even the size of an actual seat. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. We'll deal with it, whatever. And so I'm, I'm spinning, whatever. And I'm looking at her, and she's just like, like, just spinning away, doing the great thing, whatever. And I'm, like, immediately exhausted. Like, immediately. But then there's this little knob. I don't know if you know what this knob is for. So a knob increases resistance, makes it harder to spin. And I'm looking over, and Katie is like, crick, crick. And I was like, so then I'm spinning, and she's like, crick. And I can't even breathe. And the lady's like, come on, like, or whatever, like, whatever it is that they do, they just yell at you. And I'm, so I'm, I'm realizing she's resisting a lot more than me. So then I just kind of like fake it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't twist it, but I just kind of like put my hand around it and moved my hand so that I could completely lie. And, and so we get done with the whole thing. And she's like, yeah, how was that? And I'm like, it's great. It was, it was great. That was super easy. Uh, when do you do that next? And she's like, tomorrow. And I was like, you know what, I, I feel like I got plans tomorrow at 5, so, like, I got to, like, completely move on. Like, it was just, it wasn't for me, but all I cared about was impressing her. You do dumb things when you try to impress somebody, am I right? Like, any time, it's, it's just a thing. It's a complex. Now, we ended up getting married. I have, I have a feeling it had nothing to do with that spin class experience. Had I known that, I wouldn't have done it. But, like, just because I tried to impress her in that moment doesn't mean that that's the end of our relationship, right? I can't just be like, well, I'm pressuring that moment, and then all of a sudden we get married, and then I'm like, all right, well, you're stuck with me. Divorce isn't an option. I get to do whatever I want. My true colors show I'm actually a terrible person, right? No, you still have to try. You still have to move forward. It's not just a one-time thing where you engage with someone, impress them, and then move on. But for us, sometimes, we think that the Christian walk is this thing where if we can just be delivered one time, we get in rebellion, and then we just like, yeah, we're fine, we're moving on, then, then that's it. We're fine for the rest of the time. But the reality is that there is this constant movement forward that happens if we're truly walking in who God has called us to be. Well, the Israelites did not get this. So what they would do is they would receive this deliverance, and then they would kind of just coast. So they were here, we see them, they had 40 years of not being oppressed, But then something happens in their coasting, and verse 12, again, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's what the Bible says. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel, They took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eight 
15 years. 40 years of freedom. King Eglon, which is a gross name, but whatever, he comes and now he's oppressing them because God has raised them up in their rebellion. So now they're serving King Eglon for 18 years. Then, verse 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. 18 years they lived in captivity and oppression because of their rebellion. And after 18 years, and only after 18 years, did they decide to cry out to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something really quick. There are a lot of us right now that are in this season of complete rebellion. And for some reason, we find ourselves continuing to rebel over and over again. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, we're miserable. But just like the Israelites, we sit in this miserable life that is full of rebellion, and we don't do a thing about it. We are so much more like the Israelites than we might think. So because they cried out, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera, the Benjamite, a lefty. Any lefties in the room? Raise your hand if you're a lefty. All right. Don't boo a lefty. What? I didn't realize that would be so divisive. Goodness gracious. Listen, lefties, if you didn't know this, you, you are in the Bible. There is a left-handed man. His name is Ehud. Now listen, he's not left-handed because he started throwing a baseball with his left hand and his parents didn't change his hand. Typically, when you are left-handed, in these times it was because of some type of ailment, some type of deformity, and so you just, by nature, you kind of had to use your left hand. That's just how it worked. Don't use that to make fun of the lefties in the room. That's probably not the case. But Ehud, listen, Ehud was different, and that mattered. Here's what the Bible says. Listen. The people of Israel sent tribute by Ehud to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. So, here's what happened. Lefty, right thigh. I don't know if you've ever seen, but you like pull from across your body, right? This is how swords work, I guess. I don't know. If you were a righty, which side would it be on? Thank you. Man, gold star, whoever that was. Was that you? Gold star. So because he was left-handed, it was on his right side, it would typically be on the left. That's important. Here we go. Keep going. He had on his right thigh. Verse 17. He presented this tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now the Israelites would have sent regularly tributes to the king as a part of their oppression. They would say, hey, King Eglon, we've been doing all this work. We've been putting this together. We want to bless you, O king, so you don't kill us. So they sent this tribute through Ehud, and he brings in this sword that is 18, or that is a cubit in length, which is about 18 inches. He presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Check this out, verse 17. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. That's for real. I don't know what your version says. I don't know if your version says husky. I don't know if it says like big boned or whatever or all the things that people typically call me. Um, 
Someone said beefy about me earlier, uh, which is fine, whatever, I can handle it. But the Bible is very clear. Eglon, which kind of sounds like it fits the name, was a very fat man. Verse 18, check it out. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the tribute has been presented. Everybody's kind of leaving in the tribute. There would be a lot of officers, different people of the kingdom that would be a part of that in the room. Uh, The tribute has been presented. Everybody kind of starts leaving. The the tribute ceremony is wrapping up. And then Ehud kind of like on the side is like, hey, Eglon. And Eglon's like, yeah. Like, I don't know if like, yeah. And so like, He said, hey, I have a message for you from the Lord. Check it out. He said, O king, he commanded silence. All his attendants went out from his presence because he said, I have a secret message for you. What he wanted in that moment, Eglon was like, oh, if you have a secret message from you, get everybody out of here. Get out because this is important. Obviously, I'm a big deal. I'm a person of influence. Give me the message. Here's what he says. Verse 20. Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And Ehud arose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt, or the handle, also went in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade... For he did not pull the sword out of his belly. My man, like, I don't know what 18 inches feels like, but it went in, did not come out. The handle went in also, and that was it. It stayed in there. The fat closed over the sword. Now listen, that's not the end of it. Here's what the Bible continues to say. Is it up there? (laughs) And the dung came out. This is in the Bible, guys. The dung came out. The Greek translation of the word dung. I'm just kidding. This is pretty graphic. I probably should have warned you ahead of time that this might be a little graphic. But listen. The dung came out. Verse 23. This is weird. Then Ehud went out onto the porch, closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, locked the doors. So he left, verse 24, listen, follow with me. When he had gone, the servants came, check this out, and when they saw that the doors of the roof of the chamber were locked, they thought, oh, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. So they're just kind of waiting for him to handle his business. Sometimes people take a long time in there. I don't know where you're at on that, but let's not talk about it. So, verse 25. They waited until they were embarrassed. Like, it was like, okay, this is too long. Like, he has been in there far too long. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof of the chamber, they looked, they took the key, opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. In that time, Ehud escaped while they delayed. He passed beyond the idols, escaped to Sarah. 
And when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of the Ephraim. And the people of Israel went down from, with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. Check this out. He had said to them, follow after me. This is an important line. Listen. For the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Even despite their rebellion, the Lord raised up a man like Ehud, who in a very unique and sort of graphic way takes down this king, retreats back to their people, readies them up, and says, the Lord has given your enemies into your hand. So they went after him. They seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites, did not allow anyone to pass over, and the Israelites killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites. All strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So they had 40 years of freedom, 18 years of oppression, And because of this moment where Ehud has now delivered them from that oppression, despite their rebellion, they now have 80 more years of freedom. Now let me ask you something. Did those Israelites deserve that freedom? No. What did they do? All they did was cry out to the Lord, and the Lord was the one who provided it, right? Listen, I want you to see a few things from this. If you're thinking, like, what in the world are we getting from this? Check this out. I have three things that I think, you, if you write things down, go ahead and write it down. If you're one of those people that memorizes things, you're like, no, I'm not going to write things down, so I'll remember this, then that's fine too. The first thing is this. Our relationship with God is not just one decision. Our relationship with God is not just one decision. It's not just this one thing that we decided in this one moment, in this one room, uh, at this one camp or whatever, and then it's just done. We're good. The reality is, is what the Israelites said was, because I have been delivered from these oppressions, then I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. But what happens is, in their complacency, They would find themselves rebelling again because that was what their nature said to do. And we do this all the time. We might think, oh, man, I made made a decision that one time, or, oh, at least I didn't do this one bad thing, or, hey, I did this one good thing, so I'm fine. You've ever gotten, has your parents ever gotten on to you before, and it feels like they get on to you for the same thing over and over again, and you're like, can't, can't you just see the good things that I'm doing? This is what the Israelites would do. Yeah, remember that time we were oppressed and now we're not anymore? They got complacent because they rested in this one time where they were delivered. And then they found themselves rebelling again. So what does that look like for us? Listen, there are some of us in this room, there are people in this room right now, that this will be the last time that they set foot in this room. And it's, it's not because of anything other than the fact that they just don't choose to be here. And I'm not saying that this place is the greatest place in the world. I do think that a little bit because I love this place. But there are a lot of us in this room that might not be back here next week. There's a lot of us in this room 
that just won't choose to come and be a part of something where we actually get into God's word, where we have a fellowship and a community of believers, where we have leaders that are trying to pour into us so that we can continue to grow into the people that God has called us to be. But that's not a priority for us. There's people in this room right now that are currently looking at their phones and not even paying attention to anything. And that's fine. That's between you and the Lord and you and whatever. Like, if that's you, man, that's fine. But I'll tell you what. What God has to say in his word is so valuable that every time we come in here and open God's word, I promise you, I promise you, if you engage and pay attention, I bet the Lord would speak something to you. But within our rebellion, we just say it's not that big of a deal. It's not important. I made the decision to come here. Isn't that enough? I show up every now and then on a Sunday. Isn't that enough? I made a decision for salvation one time at a camp three years ago. Isn't that enough? And the reality is, is that this isn't a workspace thing, but, man, God wants all of us. He wants us to give him his all. He wants us to engage when we have opportunities to engage. And so I pray and I hope that you come back and are a part of what we're doing here at Bell Shoals in this student ministry with some incredible leaders. But the reality is, is that a lot of you won't. It's not just a one-time thing. This is something that we get to engage with every single day. Maybe we start to think, hey, you know what, I actually don't need to spend time in the Word because I go to church. Do you know that I, I never brought my Bible to church? Here's why. It was inconvenient. It's kind of heavy. Sometimes I would lose it. I'm kind of a forgetful person. To be honest with you, I didn't think it looked cool. So I don't want to bring it. If I showed up to church with my Bible and my friend didn't have their Bible, I'd be like, oh, this is weird. Like, I'd probably throw it in a pew somewhere so that I didn't have to be the one person in my friend group that had my own Bible. There's a man, his name is Mark Young. He is one of the people in my life that has made the most significant impact on my life. And it wasn't because he told me to bring his Bible, to bring my Bible to church. It is because he just brought his Bible faithfully every single time church was available. And I watched him. And I would sit next to him. He would be the only person in our friend group to bring his Bible. And he would sit down. And I'm like, this guy, like, what a loser. Like, like in my mind, that's what I was thinking. Because, like, why would he bring his Bible? In reality, I was just insecure. But I watched him every time somebody would come up and speak. He'd be underlining. He'd be circling. He'd be making little notes. And then he would reference them weeks later. I didn't remember anything that anybody was talking about. But, man, the more I saw him truly engage in God's word physically, that just changed my perspective of what I needed to do with this. So then I just started bringing my Bible. I was more engaged I wasn't near as distracted. And so that was a huge help for me. Because in my mind, I had already made a decision. It's fine. At least I'm in church. I'm here. That's enough. But Mark showed me that that wasn't enough. And I'm glad that he did. Because if he didn't, I don't know that I would have experienced any type of spiritual growth. This is why I think it's important for you to bring your Bibles. I think it helps you engage more with God's word. Maybe we look at one decision and we say, hey, that was just one decision, but, like, I don't want to give in to any kind of accountability. Nobody needs to speak into my life. I'm doing just fine. That's what the Israelites would have been like. And they would continue to fall into rebellion. 
Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I come to church every Sunday and Wednesday. Like what? Like what do you have for me? And maybe you're just coming and you're sitting down and you're a consumer and you're not a contributor. Maybe you have no desire to, to go out on mission, to share the gospel with your friends at school, to, to go on a mission trip. Our walk with the Lord is not just a one-time decision. It's a decision that we make every single day to be who God has called us to be according to his word. The Israelites missed that and they continued to find themselves in oppression. Here's the second thing. God uses our weaknesses to display his strengths. Ehud was a left-handed guy and it was very different. That's why he went in unnoticed because they would have checked him. But because it wasn't on the right side, he was able to get by. And sometimes we look at who we are as people and as individuals and we say, man, we're, our weaknesses are weaknesses and they can never be anything good. But God's word is very clear that in our weakness, it's an opportunity for him to show his strength. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, but he said to me, this is Paul talking. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we're looking and we're walking around and we're just trying to be one giant strength, nothing's wrong with me, I'm great, I'm good at every single thing that I do, and you don't give any opportunity to work on weaknesses or to allow God be strength within those weaknesses, then we miss out on what God would want to do in our lives. Number three, this is the last thing, and then we'll wrap up. God already has the victory. Let's think about this for a second. When we're looking through judges, God is providing for them people who are broken people trying to deliver a broken people from their own rebellion. This is a picture of what is to come with Christ on the cross. God already has that victory. So I think for us, sometimes we start to think, well, I'm kind of trapped. I'm kind of stuck in my rebellion. I'm stuck in the thing that I just can't break, this habit, this relationship that I'm in. I just don't want to break it. I want to keep it going. Even in my rebellion that I recognize this doesn't honor God, I want to still continue in it. And the reality is, is that God has already claimed the victory in our lives from sin. And yet still, just like the Israelites, we choose sin over and over again. Here's what John 16 says. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He's talking about, this is before he was to be crucified. He's talking about there being a time when he is going to die and be resurrected, ascend into heaven, and all of the disciples are going to kind of be scattered back to their own homes. And that are going to take the gospel into the ends of the earth. Here's what verse 33 says. I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. 
I have overcome the world. Here's what I want you to see. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Peace is available. Peace is offered to each one of us. But the very next line says, in the world you will have tribulation. There will be oppression. There will be difficulty. And man, some of us, just like the Israelites, just want to sit in that rebellion. We have access to so great a salvation that is through Jesus Christ. And because we're so stuck up on ourselves, that's where we want to live. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of us in this room, if not all of us, are battling something. Not just going through something, but like actually battling something. It could be an addiction. It could be a, a, an unhealthy relationship. It could be a family dynamic issue. It could be something nobody in this room ever knows or would ever know about. And in your mind, you're thinking, it is actually better for me to keep this inside of me, to live in this isolation, rather than tell anybody about this or give this over to the Lord. Because there's no way that I can beat this. But the reality is, listen, God already has the victory. He's already defeated death. He's already defeated sin. And if we don't lean into that, we miss out on this deliverance from our own rebellion. So I'm going to tell you something. If you're in this room and you've, you've never, you don't even know what we're talking about. What was salvation? Like, what does this even mean? Let me tell you, this story of the Israelites is our story. We live in rebellion over and over again. We are separated from God, and there is nothing we can do to ever get to a place where we'd be in a relationship with a perfect and holy God. So what he did was he sent not a broken Savior, a perfect Savior. And that perfect Savior died on the cross for each and every one of us. And we don't deserve an ounce of that grace, and yet still he so freely gave that to us. And it was so that we could have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God and you're battling, I have some unfortunate news for you. You will not win. You won't. Because the only person who has overcome sin and death, the only person who has a victory over sin and death is Jesus Christ. And if you are not using him, if you are not falling under that grace, then you will struggle for a very long time. I want you to bow your heads with me real quick. Can we just take a second? This is going to be kind of weird, maybe uncomfortable, and that's okay. I don't want anybody looking around. Is there somebody in this room that would raise their hand and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm actually kind of struggling right now. Would you just raise your hand? If you're a believer in this room, would you just take a moment and pray for those who are raising their hand? You don't have to look around. I just want you to just take a moment, because there are a lot of hands that just rose. If you're a believer in the room, I just want you to take a moment. I just want you to pray over people who just rose their hand.
Listen, if you rose your hand, you're in good company. Because there's a lot of us in this room that are really dealing with a lot of things. And if you are battling those things alone, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is going to be a never-ending battle. There are leaders, adults in the room. There are people on our staff. We would love to come alongside you and pray with you. Would you just pray and ask that God would give you the boldness to come to somebody to ask for help? If you're in this room and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk with you. I know Morgan would love to talk with you. We would love to have a conversation as to what that could look like in your life. So don't leave tonight without considering that if you've never done that before. Heavenly Father, we are broken people living in a broken world, rebelling daily. And Father, I pray that you would just come alongside us you would stir in our hearts a desire to boast in our weaknesses because it highlights your strength. God, that we would rest in your victory. Father, be with us tonight. May we respond in a way that would be engaging for you, God. I pray, Lord, that during this time, as we sing praises to you, that we would not just immediately run to the exit, that we wouldn't just try to find a different way to disengage, to talk to our friend, to leave the building. Like, God, I pray that this would just be a moment where we would just take the time to say, God, what is it that you want to do in my own life? And God, I pray that these moments, we would lean into you and who you called us to be. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the deliverance from our sin and pray, God, that we would take that seriously. Thank you for who you are. We ask in Jesus' name.